special formal meeting of the Iowa City City Council for November the 4th, 2019. Roll call, please. Cole? Here. Mims? Here. Salee? Yeah. Taylor? Here. Teague? Here. Thomas? Here. Throgmorton? Here. Item two, student leadership awards. We have two outstanding students who will be receiving awards tonight. They both attend Weber Elementary, and one is Lydia Evans, and the other is Rio Matar. So would you all come up? Thank you. Perfect, thanks. Okay, what a great evening it is, and it's uh, really a treat to be able to celebrate two outstanding students for doing really good work at Irving Weber School. And we talked about this beforehand, right? So I'm gonna ask you, Lydia, to begin by reading your speech, and then, um, oh. Real. Real, I'm sorry, yeah, thank you. And real, then you'll read yours, right? Okay, good deal, so you wanna begin? Uh, sure. Okay. Speak to your yeah. parents and the audience out there. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> I would like to start this off by saying thank you to the city council for giving me this award and to my teachers and principal at Weber Elementary for selecting me. There are a lot of other people that show good leadership at Weber, so I'm really honored that I was chosen. Some ways that I try to show good leadership is leading by example. I always try to be a good role model, even when I'm not in a school setting and even when no one is watching. At school, I pay attention in class and ask questions during the lesson. I always try to be kind and make everyone feel welcome. I try to be friendly to new kids, and when we're doing a group project, I make sure that everyone listens to other people's ideas. Thank you. All right. Well, well done. Thank you. Okay, real. Hello, my name is Real, and I am very um, honored to be here. I would like to thank Mrs. Bass and my parents for their support. I think I won this award for several reasons. First, I try as hard as I can, and if I don't get it, I try so very hard to understand. Second, most of the time I take things a step higher and challenge myself. Third, I listen to instructions right away. And lastly, I, I try to put a exam good example for kids older than me, younger than me, and kids my age. Thank you. Listen to instructions, what a good idea. Okay, so like I said, I'm gonna read the award for you both. So the, uh, it, it reads the same, exactly the same for each of the re awards except for names. Yeah, okay, so Student Leadership Award. For your outstanding qualities of leadership within Weber Elementary as well as the community and for your sense of responsibility and helpfulness to others, we recognize Lydia Evans and Rio Matar. As an outstanding student leader, your community is proud of you. Presented by the Iowa City City Council, November 2019. So Lydia, here's yours. Thank you. And Rio, here's yours. Well done. And I know there's some really proud parents right down there and some other really proud parents right over here. So great job, you all are doing really wonderful. So join me in celebrating.
to go off topic for just a second, there was something I meant to do because I usually start every meeting by saying something about the day. And I guess what comes to mind is that a little over a week ago, I was in Greenville, South Carolina. And then I came back here and saw all these beautiful trees with all sorts of yellow leaves and red leaves. And it was really fun to just observe our fall day. And a day later, there was this heavy snowfall, or snowfall anyhow, and all the yellow leaves came straight down, and all the red leaves came straight down. Next thing you know, there, they, there were pretty much no leaves on the trees anymore. Oh, well. Next time I go to Greenville, South Carolina, I won't make that mistake. I'll come back just a little bit earlier or something. Okay, moving on, though, to proclamations. So we have one proclamation for this evening. It's National Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Week. So, <clears throat> whereas hunger and homelessness remain one of our nation's most pressing domestic issues, and whereas this proclamation is an endeavor to educate and promote awareness about issues surrounding hunger and homelessness, and to inspire action and advocacy on behalf of people with food insecurities, and who lack a permanent home. And whereas the plight of hunger and homelessness is an issue faced daily by hundreds of men, women, and children throughout our own community, and whereas food insecurity and hunger stem from poverty and a lack of reliable income sources, and whereas homelessness is the result of a complex set of circumstances that push people into poverty and force impossible choices between food shelter and other basic needs, and whereas many local organizations, including members of the local homeless coordinating board, are committed to sheltering and providing supportive services as well as meals and food supplies to people in need, and whereas there has been steady progress to end hunger and homelessness through the collaborative efforts of our community, and we continue to work toward developing resources and capacity to meet the needs of people who are homeless and hungry, and thereby offer them hope, opportunity, and dignity. Now, therefore, I, James A. Throgmorton, Mayor of Iowa City, do hereby proclaim November the 16th through the 24th to be National Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Week in Iowa City, Iowa, and urge all citizens to join in recognizing the important roles we each can play in making a difference in the lives of men, women, and children who experience hunger and homelessness in our community. I understand that Jim Kringlin is here to accept this proclamation. Jim? Yeah, please come up. Please feel free to say something to us if sure. you want. I'll say a few words. Okay. Thank you, Mayor, members of the council. Um, I'm one of quite a few members of the local homeless coordinating board here in Iowa City. Um, I participate in my role as the managing attorney at Iowa Legal Aid, but there's a couple of dozen agencies that provide services and come together to collaborate to address those issues. Uh, just over the past year, the Homeless Coordinating Board has uh, worked on its annual winter emergency shelter, which provides shelter during the coldest months to people who would otherwise be literally homeless on the streets and in danger. 
and there's been no loss of life due to exposure in the past year. Uh, the, uh, the board has also uh, engaged in a case study to uh, identify how to provide services to home, chronically homeless individuals, and that resulted in the very successful and amazing um, Cross Park Place, which opened uh, earlier this year and provides a permanent home for 24 uh, single adults who are chronic, who had been chronically homeless but are not any longer. Uh, we've also developed a RentWise, a training program for tenants uh, to help them learn how to be good tenants that will help them become uh, less likely to be homeless in the future. And we're hard at work in creating a risk mitigation fund to induce landlords to rent to difficult to house or rent to uh, tenants uh, and provide them with compensation in the hopefully unlikely event that they suffer losses as a result of their willingness to provide housing to, to those individuals. We've also uh, developed coordinated entry, which is a pretty complex program I won't try to summarize here, as well as Community Co Connections Day, which will be uh, Thursday, November 21 at the Robert A. Lee Recreation Center, which is a, an annual service fair for residents at risk of homelessness or currently homeless. It provides uh, haircuts, uh, other clinics, um, as well as agencies there that provide a variety of services to to help them know that this community is there to, to help support them. So thank you for the proclamation on behalf of the local Homeless Coordinating Board. Thank you, Jim. You. Okay, we can move on to our consent calendar, which is items four through nine. Could I have a motion to approve the consent calendar as, as amended? Move. Second. Second. Moved by Sway, seconded by Cole. Discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Martin. Yes. Motion carries 7 to 0. Could I have a motion to accept correspondence for item 8C from Cheryl Cruz? Move. Second. Moved by Sway, seconded by Teague. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Uh, we come to item number 10, which is community comment. Uh, anybody who would like to address any topic that is not on our formal meeting agenda could please feel free to come up and speak to us. Uh, please don't take more than three or four minutes to express your views, and we'll move on from there. Good evening, Mayor, Councilors. My name is Andrea Cohen, and I am the former Executive Director of Iowa United Nations Association. I'm a great fan of Edward R. Morrow, and he said, I want to say exactly what I mean to say, and I request your permission to read from the script. Children have human rights, and they should be empowered to claim them. Thirty years ago, the Convention on the Rights of the Child recognized children as their own beings entitled to non-negotiable rights. Nearly all governments, to the exclusion of one, have ratified the Convention and pledged to respect, protect, and promote those rights. This makes the Convention one of the most visionary and universally accepted human rights agreements in history. This anniversary creates a momentum for the international community to step up its efforts to make children thrive and to renew their commitment to, commute, to protect and promote all their human rights. 
The Committee on the Rights of the Child, the body in charge of monitoring states' compliance with the provisions of the Convention, has been encouraging states' parties to renew their commitment to the Convention by pledging to take one specific and measurable action for promotion, protection, and realization of the rights of the child. The United States signed the Convention but has not ratified it and is the only country in the world that has not done so. There is opportunity, however, for states, cities, communities, and individuals to make such a pledge. Iowa United Nations Association is asking the Iowa City City Council to make its pledge to take one specific and measurable action as we celebrate the CRC at 30. So what I have for you is what exactly the pledge would look like, what it is, why you want to do it, how you want to do it, when you want to do it, and who will be doing it. I've also provided some action suggestions in case, in case you need them, though I'm pretty sure you've got plenty. And just in case you haven't learned it by heart yet, the Convention on the Rights of the Child with illustrations and with what each of them are. So thank you very much, and it's not something that has to be done by the end of the year. It's not something that has to be done in a major program. It's just something that shows the commitment of Iowa City, which has um, pledged to support the convention uh, against all, to eliminate all discrimination against women, which we're very thankful for, but now we can also do this Convention on the Rights of the Child. The 30th anniversary is actually on November 20th. That can be the starting point for something. It's something that can take three years, five years, however you would like to do it. If you need my help, I'm here until December 22nd. After that, I'm sure Iowa UNA will be happy to help, as well as the Johnson County chapter. So just let me know who I give this to. That was taken care of. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. It's good to see you again, too. So there's surely some way we can get it on our next meeting's agenda, maybe in an information packet or something like that. Yeah. Great. Hi. Hi there, you guys. I'm Tishaylin Harrington from Shelter House, um, and I want to first thank local court, homeless coordinating board for accepting our uh, the proclamation for National Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Week, as well as you guys for... Um, making the week <laughs> for the proclamation. I also want to share um, some of the programs and activities and events that we will be recognizing. Um, to begin with, we will have a discussion panel, and it'll have an interesting mix of housing and healthcare professionals um, talking about the importance of prescribing housing for healthcare. Um, We'll have professionals from the community, as well as Senator Zach Walls um, moderating the discussion. On November 21st, we will have a soup luncheon that is hosted by Gloria Day at the Congregational Church um, in Iowa City, and also a food drive, I mean, um, a sock drive, I'm sorry. And on that Friday, we will have a film screening, Lost in America, and it details the um, epidemic of youth experiencing homeless homelessness, which is um, a pressing issue that is sometimes overlooked. Um, we have a full week of programming, and more information can be found on our website at shelterhouseiowa.org. Thank you. Thank you, Tishanda. Hi, Jamie. Hi. 
My name is James McCoy, and first of all, I just wanted to uh, thank the, the council for their uh, express support for the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividends Act and for the many things that are being done at a local level through the council that are all extremely important. I just want to make one technical point that maybe wasn't clear in the previous information I gave you, and that is this, this, uh, this uh, proclamation or resolution is a very important thing. The intent of that is to go to all of our federal legislators and just let them know that there is political will uh, at the local level for doing something about climate change. Another very important thing, though, is to actually go to the Endorse the Bill uh, website and sign on as an endorser. That's what puts Iowa City uh, Council on a list of um, illustrious groups, including LA County and South um, Miami, Florida, and Anchorage, Alaska, and many in between that have endorsed the bill. And so I'm hoping that in addition to a resolution that the council will uh, be willing to go on this website and just uh, basically fill out about 10 lines uh, indicating that they support the bill. Thanks very much for your support. Thanks, Jeremy. Hi there. Good evening. My name is Becky Reedus. I am the Executive Director of Community Crisis Services and Food Bank. I'm also the uh, agency chair of the inaugural year of the Agency Impact Coalition, group of agencies um, that have been known by as the legacy agencies as they're funded uh, th um, through Iowa City for funding for our nonprofit um, organizations for a variety of needs. I want to address the process of funding nonprofit organizations tonight and the process of funding outside um, the, uh, going outside the process uh, to provide funds to organizations such as being considered. I'm not against any organization um, such as Houses into Homes um, getting funds, not at all. But I really feel strongly that it is important for the council to adhere to the same kinds of rules that they give all organizations for funding, that we have a process for joint funding, and we have deadlines, and we compete in a process for one pot of money that's divided among 15 or 16 organizations. I've written 12 of those um, applications, and 11, 11 of them I've never, our organization has not ever received full funding for that. Um, it's a process, joint funding is, we're notified in the fall. Uh, we have about six weeks for which to write a proposal and submit it. And it's, clear, we're, it's clearly been identified that if we don't meet that deadline, we're not gonna be eligible to be considered for funding. I think this process, one in which we are applying for a specific amount of money, um, creates a, um, a competition. Um, we all know that competition. Um, and going around that process undermines equity for us all. We, most of us know that we're not gonna receive full funding in that process. Um, 
that we're gonna receive partial funding. And I think the transparency of um, what, and the, the competition is undermined when an agency goes around that process. And I'm questioning, I guess, why, um, why this process isn't, the rules, I guess, aren't, aren't for all. I know that there are agencies in the uh, Agency Impact Coalition, of which are legacy agencies with Iowa City, who are in need of additional funding, who have never received full funding, except for last year, which was a, an unusual year. But going forward, we're not expecting that same level of funding. Um, and I know that those agencies could use additional funds at the same time. So. I guess um, that's my question is why some agencies are required to adhere to the rules and others are not. Um, where, where that fairness and equity is, is coming from. All of the agencies that are asking for money have addressed serious issues in our community, whether it's housing, whether it's medical care, whether it's food youth activities, counseling activities. I think it's important for the council to provide everyone with the same rules. Thank you. Thank you, Becky. Hi there. Hello. Uh, my name is Phil Pribble. Uh, as the uh, outgoing biosolids applicator, I wanted to uh, afford myself the chance to thank you all for the chance to have worked for the city for many, many years. Um, my business uh, has certainly benefited and enjoyed the opportunity to um, aid in uh, labor management and uh, evening of our workflow and uh, continued uh, employment of uh, the people who I employ. Uh, additionally, the farm ground that we operate has, has benefited from the biosolids product and and uh, I know biosolids are the sort of things we like to bring up always in mixed company or <laughs> near dinner for sure. Um, so back in 2010, um, so in, in addition to thanking you and, and bringing myself up here, I, I wanted to uh, return something to you all. Um, back in 2010, um, when I was uh, fairly new in the process and needed money much more. The, and the city was under different management, and certainly the wastewater plant was under different management as well. Um, they had some issues with accounting. Um, and so it was fairly common that I would get presented with money that wasn't earned, which is always a bit of a dilemma. And um, on one particular occasion, um, I had been presented a check. Um, three different times, same amount every time, uh, and I would march the check back and return it. And after it came the third time, not, not that I needed to, but I decided that I would keep it. And I put it above my desk, and it was good conversation as to why it is that I was in possession of an uncashed check for $2,000 from the city of Iowa City living out in the country. And so uh, I'd like to return that to you all now if, um, because. No, no. <laughs> well, odds are, Jim, it's fairly void and it would be hard to present today anyway. Mm. But I'll leave it with you all. And uh, once again, thank you for the, uh, what was uh, a good process. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Phil. 
I was only joking. Chris, you'll find a way to cancel it. Uh -huh. Maybe sure. <laughs> Good evening. My name is Chrissy Canganelli. I'm executive director of Shelter House. And um, I would just uh, reiterate the comments of my colleague, Becky Reedus, from Community, um, regarding the aid to agencies and the joint funding allocation process. And um, also on the heels of uh, Jim's statement on behalf of the Local Homeless Coordinating Board. And the work that the Local Homeless Coordinating Board has done in the past more than five years collectively to coordinate services, to look at gaps in our community uh, in services, and to work collectively and as a, as a coalition to address those efficiently and effectively, to challenge ourselves to see if a gap existed. Did an entity exist that could address that need without creating an additional organization, an additional nonprofit, and the additional administrative and overhead expenditures that that um, without doubt comes with that establishment of a new organization. And I'd like to say that we've done, or I will say, we have done a phenomenal job in doing that, in integrating new programming, innovations, working within the existing system of care, and we're stronger and more effective for it. And we have helped in uh, very profound ways some of the hardest to serve, hardest to house individuals and most vulnerable individuals and families in our community because of it. And we have done that all along with the support and the leadership of city staff and with this council. So I have to say I was uh, quite shocked uh, at the conversation and the starting point for the conversation with respect to the determination um, that the right thing to do at this moment would be to uh, give $25,000 to a, a relatively new organization because the gap in between increasing service and making an impact was funding for an executive director. Um, I say this at risk of sounding ungrateful, I suppose, but I've had over 20 years of modeling this value system, these goals, these objectives, working in uh, collaboration with the existing entities to build and strengthen the network that exists within our community and to do that with an eye to efficiency and effectiveness and economy. I'm going to also add that no one up here asked the question, are they collaborating did anybody reach out to help? On multiple occasions, I will say that my organization offered administrative support, a VISTA volunteer, resources, guidance, and at every turn, we were turned away, denied. Um, your decision tonight and the conversation is uh, such a slap in what I have understood to be the values and the strongholds that our community has endorsed in moving forward and developing a system of care. And I would echo the statements that Susan Mims, Councillor Mims made as far as standing back and looking at the need to do some real hard human services planning and uh, reassess and think outside the box. Challenge us to do that. We are the uh, experts in this area. Um, 
and we were we were not consulted as to a possible strategy to achieve, I would say, an even greater goal than what will happen from your decision tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Chrissy. Hello, um, my name is David Dixon, and I think you've seen me enough. You can probably guess what I'm about to talk about. Um, earlier tonight in the work session, you talked about uh, speed limit on North Dubuque Street. I wanted to make a couple comments about that. Um, as Ms. Dilks mentioned, the, the non-statutory speed limit has to be passed by ordinance. Dubuque Street was previously 45 by default um, when Mayflower opened uh, back in the 60s. Uh, it was reduced from 45 to 35 once the city got authority to do so from the state in 1968 and first adopted by ordinance in 1977. There's been minimal new construction since then. You guys have improved the road quite a bit since then. A um, couple of recent cases making national news in Michigan and in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, where courts have thrown out traffic stops relating to speeding. Uh, one of them in uh, Louisville, guy stopped for 93 and a 55. It simply does not matter that speed limit signs could be or should be enough. It's a matter of what the law is. And in tossing evidence of drunk driving, there is no public record of any engineering study modifying the statutorily defined speed limits. The speed limit on the, within the Gateway Project has never been 25. An ordinance to that effect was never adopted. You, at the August meeting, instructed staff to conduct a study. They haven't quite done that yet. There are certain things that are required to be in that study. One of them is very important, and that's an analysis of the free-flowing speeds of vehicles on that roadway. They counted all the cars. If you drive Dubuque Street, you know that you have, you know, Mr. Thomas rigidly at 25 and perhaps Ms. Mims trying to get by him, right behind him. Um, I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but, <laughs> um, but that's something that's required to be in there and there's a reason for that. One of the things that engineer looks to is what percentage of traffic is free flowing? Do we have lots of platooning? What are following distances looking like? Can we improve some of those things with a faster speed? which I think is one of your concerns, could 35 miles an hour in fact be safer than 25? Could 45 be safer than 35? And that's something that we need to see in that study at a minimum. Um, I'm, fortunately, Mr. Ralston collected the data necessary to determine all of that. He's, he's got the raw data. I had a conversation with him earlier today, and he's agreed to provide that to me. And I'm going to crunch this stuff in Excel and figure out what some of those parameters look like, what the 85th percentile speed of free-flowing vehicles actually looks like. It's higher than 41 and a half. By how much, I don't know. It could be 42, it could be 49. We do know we've had people looking at police records stop for more than 30 over on that stretch. That's 65. Um, one of my concerns, though, is that the police enforcement that has happened, we're talking 300 citations just in that stretch out of roughly 1,000 issued in the city, citywide. 300 of those and about 40% uh, of them, 39 point something if I remember right, are for speeds less than 10 miles an hour over, less than 35. We're spending a lot of enforcement effort enforcing speed limits on people who are doing something that design engineers on the Gateway Project have said is perfectly safe. Um, that's something we need to think about. Um, 
you know, I've, I've attempted for three months now trying to find evidence of engineering support for some of the city's other speed limits and have come up with nothing. Um, maybe the city's never done them. Maybe they've been lost to history. I don't know. But I want to know when the city's going to start issuing refunds to those people that should have never been cited. How many of them are, are struggling for furniture in their home or trying to find, you know, trying to maintain housing? Um, how many of them are, are fighting a license suspension that might result in a loss of a job? All those things, even somebody that's cited for 45 and a 25 that would have still been speeding potentially, or somebody that, you know, 65 and a 25, there's a difference in what they paid to the court and what consequences they face as a result of the errors on the part of the city in trying to afford, enforce a speed limit it never passed. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Miriam? Hi. Uh, my name is Miriam Akasha. I currently live in North Liberty. I lived in Iowa City for over 20 years before I moved there. Uh, I'll get back to that in a minute. First thing I want to do is thank you all for your, um, to council and staff, for your concerted efforts to review and upgrade your climate uh, solutions and goals. I'm really pleased to see everything that's going on, their new commission that you're setting up. It's very exciting, and thank you. Second thing is, um, I'm, I'm a walking billboard for what Jamie was talking about. If you can't see it, it says, uh, keep calm and put a price on climate. I think I just got the shirt today. Anyway, um, so I'll, I'll ditto what Jamie said. I hope you will do the endorsement, not just a resolution for this community supporting um, house number 763, the uh, energy innovation and carbon dividend bill. And thirdly, I've been thinking about, I, I'd really like to move back to uh, <laughs> Iowa City. I love it here. I live in North Liberty. Why do I live in North Liberty? Because I couldn't afford to live in Iowa City. And one of the reasons I couldn't afford to live in Iowa City is because we don't have enough affordable housing, and I know you work on that. Um, but one of the things that's come to my attention is that there are um, restrictions on multiple housing in many, many neighborhoods in Iowa City. I live in a condo, a six-unit condo. I'm on the third floor. Heat rises. I practically pay no heating. Um, you save a lot of energy when people live closer together. And since you're interested in saving energy in this community, I really encourage you to think about um, changing some of the zoning that permits more concentrated housing. It, it saves money. It provides more affordable housing. And it, it saves energy. So thank you for your work. That's it. Thank you, Miriam. Anyone else? Not seeing anyone else. We could move ahead, but I want to ask Kelly a question. Did I forget to get a motion to accept correspondence from Cheryl Cruz, or did we do that? Thank you. Okay, item 11, planning and zoning matters. Item 11A, regulating plan amendment for 625 South Gilbert Street. This is an ordinance amending the riverfront crossings regulating plan to include the property located at 625 South Gilbert Street in the central crossing sub district. And this is pass and adopt. Could I have a motion 
So moved. Second. Moved by Mims and seconded by Teague. Discussion. I'll just quickly note, we've already discussed this in two previous meetings, so the odds are pretty good. There won't be extensive discussion tonight, but we'll see. Any comment from anybody? Hearing none, roll call, please. Mims? Yes. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? No. Cole? Yes. Motion carries six to one, Throgmorton in the negative. Item 11B, rezoning at 305 and 315 East Prentice Street and 625 South Gilbert Street. This is an ordinance conditionally rezoning approximately 1.6 acres of land located at 305 and 315 East Prentice Street and 625 South Gilbert Street from intensive commercial CI1 and community commercial CC2 to riverfront crossings, central crossings, RFC, hyphen CX and this is second consideration but the uh, the applicant has requested expedited action and waiving second consideration I move that the rule requiring the ordinances must be considered and voted on for passage at two council meetings prior to the meeting at which it is to be finally passed be suspended that the second consideration and vote be waived that the ordinance be voted on for final passage at this time second moved by Mims seconded by survey discussion Hearing none, roll call, please. Silly? Yes. Taylor? No. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Doug Martin? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Motion carries six to one. Taylor in the negative. Could have a motion to pass uh, it up. Yeah. Move final adoption. Second. Second. Um, moved by Mims and seconded by Thomas. Discussion. Again, we've had lengthy discussion about this topic in the past. Uh, from my point of view, the key question is not the rezoning, but the height bonuses. Which will be subsequently decided. Subsequent correct. thing. Right. One footnote to our discussion about, that we had extensively the other week, about the carbon uh, emission aspect to this in terms of the height of building and optimizing, or should I say, minimizing carbon emissions. Um, John and I have been in contact with Martha Norbeck and have some, ha have had some, at least on Martha's end and John's end, of course, too, some very learned discussions on this precise topic. Um, Martha's in the process of looking at some of the, the, the research that John has showed. I think she's going to at least give us her take, and at some point, maybe the council in the, in the future may want to look at this question more in depth so we can, you know, as opposed to just sort of our gut instinct, um, that we can get some consensus in terms of where the scientific studies are, are, are telling us. Um, so sort of stay tuned for that. I don't think we can figure that out tonight, but uh, I think that will be an important part of our future discussions on height. Just as a reminder, you at your previous meeting you asked the climate act, the, the climate commission to review yeah. that topic. So there'll also be there'll be some additional. That. Right. <clears throat> okay. Any further discussion? Thank you. Hearing none. Roll call, please. Taylor. <coughs> yes. Teague. Yes. Thomas. Yes. Throgmorton. Yes. Cole. Yes. Mims. Yes. Sully. Yes. Motion carries seven to zero. Could I have a motion to accept correspondence from Michael Welch, Axiom Consultants, and Pat Brown? So moved. Second. Moved by Mim, seconded by Soleil. 
All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Which gets us to item 12. Item 12, Burlington and Madison intersection improvements. This is a resolution approving project manual and estimate of costs for the construction of the Burlington and Madison intersection improvements project. Establishing amount of bid security to accompany each bid, directing city clerk to post notice to bidders, and fixing time and place for receipt of bids. I'll open the public hearing. Hi, Jason. Hello. Sorry, I'm having some trouble here. Sorry. I was having trouble right before you. Throgmorton uh, council members. My name is Jason Reichert. I am a senior civil engineer in the uh, city engineering division. Uh, tonight I have a presentation for you on the Burlington and Madison intersection improvements project. So this project's been around in one form or another for quite a while. Uh, originally uh, designed in part uh, for the anticipation of increased pedestrian traffic to the new university rec center. Um, it included uh, landscape medians to direct pedestrians to signalize intersections uh, to cross as opposed to the to deter mid-block crossing and was designed by Anderson Bogert in 2010. Uh, the current project, we reevaluated the design and looked at the current conditions and determined that medians were no longer necessary as a more as a form of safety improvements. Um, the current design includes pavement widening from Madison Street to Front Street and continuous buffered bike lanes from Madison Street to Riverside Drive. Uh, the project also includes signalized intersection improvements and ADA sidewalk improvements at the Burlington-Madison intersection and some uh, public utility improvements in the corridor as well. Uh, I didn't know how well these would show up, but this is... Uh, an exhibit showing the proposed restriping of Burlington Street. This also extends up to Capitol Street, but the bike lanes do not. So it would just be uh, from Madison to Riverside that the bike lanes would be added. Um, the uh, other item that I was asked to kind of touch on was the Madison Street four-lane to three-lane conversion was to be part of this project. But with the university's projects that are going on for the next couple of years, we decided to pull that back and wait until those are complete uh, to complete the conversion of Madison Street and add bike lanes to that corridor. With that, that's it. Can you go back to the one, sh I'm trying to understand the buffered bike lanes for sure. It yeah. seems like we've got full lanes from curb to curb on the bridge, and so I'm just trying to be clear about 
Yeah, it's kind of hard to see. So there is between a, the turn lane. Uh, between and the turn lane, yeah, between the turn lane. My mouse isn't showing up there. Uh, the through lane and the right turn lane on the north side of the bridge okay. is a dedicated bike lane, and then on the south side of the bridge, what looks like uh, I guess a shoulder line That's is actually the, it's the so the it's right up against bike. the yep. edge of the bridge. Okay. Yep. So I'm assuming that the lanes currently are wide enough that all we're doing is reducing the width of the current lanes? Uh, yeah, I believe, yeah, I believe so. There'd be 11 foot lanes. Okay, thank you. Normally I love bike lanes, but this does seem a little bit dangerous in the sense of the bike lane is right between two lanes of vehicular traffic. Um, am I looking at that correctly? Um, and it, isn't it true that these particular sidewalks are wide enough that it is okay for bikes to go on the sidewalks over the bridge, or is that not I, okay? I don't believe so. I believe okay. they're four or five foot wide. Not, oh, not okay. with pedestrians. Maybe yeah, not with pedestrians. Other ones. Okay. <clears throat> what happens at so where where it, the bike lane meets Riverside Drive? What happens? Mm -hmm. um, well, there's the Iowa River Corridor Trail, and then future long term we're working with the university to look at uh, a kind of a, a grand avenue reconfiguration that's a long-term project that we're currently working in the study phase on so this these improvements were identified in the bike master plan as a recommended uh, route so because we're doing the this project that we were implementing it with that Jason what will protect the bicyclists um, paint yeah there is are you like the width of the buffer or no i'm uh, frankly I mean, there's, I'm, there's I'm no trying separation to, trying to wrap my head around being a bicyclist crossing that bridge mm -hmm. on a bike lane that is between car lanes that, that's what i'm trying to wrap my head around and so as a bicyclist my immediate instinct is no i'm not going to do that i'm going to ride on the sidewalk that's that's what i'm telling myself at mm -hmm. the moment uh, so, but set me, take me out of the picture for a second and just think about other bicyclists. Have y'all been in conversation with bicyclists who routinely use this bridge and have complained about it for many years about there not being a way to cross it really safely on a bicycle? Have you had conversations with them about this particular design? Uh, not to my recollection. I believe we may have in the past. We've been working on this for a while now. Um, oh, sorry. So when, when, with the original concepting of this project, um, we, we had a lot of discussion with the bicycle community, yeah. and, and they actually brought it to our attention, the need for the, for the bicycle lanes and uh, the on-street bicycle facilities. And what, what they had come back to us with originally, when we were looking at the, the concept of having the median in the middle, there wasn't enough room to provide on-street bicycle facilities. So they were looking at having a, a, a bikeway outside of the street and then especially at the crossing near where the water plant was they were going to bring the bicycles back into the street um, with the redesign that we've done we're able to keep the bicycles that want to stay on on the street and use the on-street bicycle facilities a dedicated space in the lane and they'll stay visible through that whole corridor versus bringing them from outside the back of curb into the traveled way so they've seen this and approved it they so. have I agree with you, Jim. I wouldn't ride a bike there, personally. But it's it's either I guess it's either doing this or it's having 
nothing at all and they're riding in the same lanes with the vehicles or they're on the sidewalk which is too narrow for bicyclists and sidewalk bicyclists and pedestrians together so there's not the, the, the infrastructure does not lend itself itself to a good safe design in my opinion what's, what's the striping going to be like do you know what the what the buffer width is going to be um, I believe the the buffer is only a foot or a foot and a half because you don't mean between the lines on each side of the bike lane? Yeah, between the travel lane and the bike lane. Okay. Can you tell me again why in the middle, why it's not on the side? Yeah. Why it's in the middle as opposed to, on the, side. to the side of the, the oh. bike lane? Okay. It's, it's, it's because the, the travel lane as you go up the hill. So, so in this situation, unlike on the, on the south bridge, there's no turn lane adjacent to there. So for the, for the bicycle movement to be able to go from Burlington Street across to Grand Avenue, they need to be between the turn lane and the through lane. So they're basically they're on the right-hand side of that travel lane as you work your way up the hill. Otherwise, they would have to come back across the turning traffic to get to be able to go up to Grand Avenue Hill. And if you're going from the bridge to Grand, you also can, if you are in the middle biking, you will cross the street in the middle and you will be there also in Grand in the middle or after that you have to you, you'll you'll be you'll you'll be along you'll be in the in the right hand travel lane of grand avenue so you won't be in the middle of any lanes it's two lanes grand avenue is two lanes as you work your way up the hill eventually that right hand lane turns into the, uh, the bus um, pickup lane in front of the residence halls you won't you're not in the middle of you're not in between two lanes as you work your way across and work your way up the hill you mean like you coming from the bridge on the middle, but mm -hmm. after that you'll be in the right lane. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so as yeah. as as I'm as I'm. <coughs> right. So, so if if I'm if I'm in the right hand through lane of Burlington Street, that takes you straight across the intersection up Grand Avenue. Okay. Right. So you will be on the right hand side of that lane, on your bike as you work your way into the into the lanes up Grand Avenue. I don't know. For somehow I can't picture that. Mm -hmm. Because now this is the bike lane now, it is in between the two lane, right? But and the cars on the cross, right will turn. The, the, the right, the right hand, the right, that right hand lane is a turn only. So that right hand lane is a right turn lane onto, onto Riverside Drive. Yes. So those cars are going to have to turn right. There's no receiving lane across the street for them. So you're going to be in that, that right hand side of the, of the travel lanes as you work your way up. So I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Ron, I believe it's a similar situation to what we have on Melrose. As you're, as you're approaching Hawkins, um, you're going to be between, you currently are between a, a turn lane that goes right or north onto Hawkins right. and the bike lane. Yeah. You know, so, the, so the bike lane closer to the, the parking ramp, you're going to be riding on the edge next to the curb. And then as that turn lane's created to go right onto Hawkins, that bike lane stays between them. And that's a pretty common striping approach. So we've had that on Melrose for a while. I think there might have been a misunderstanding, or at least I hope there was. What's the actual width of the bike lane? So the five and a half feet. Yeah, so the okay. bike lane the five and a half feet. The, the, buffer. the buffer itself is, is the five, 18 okay. inches or the foot and a half. Okay. So that'd be on both sides. Given the volume of traffic, particularly here and sometimes maybe the speed of it, but particularly the volume, has there been any consideration, at least during the warm weather, when we're not worrying about snow removal, of putting up the, I don't know what you call them, the I little red posts? I was thinking the posts. same thing, yeah. It, is that possible? 
that that is not something that we've considered um, in regards to the bike okay. lanes. I just throw it out for okay. some maybe some thought, mm -hmm. especially during the warm weather when we're not worrying about plowing snow, especially in the first year or two to maybe kind of start help training people because that's going to be a huge mm -hmm. switch there. And then my other concern becomes those bicycles going straight are going to have to merge with that traffic, the vehicles going straight. And I turning. realize that a lot of those vehicles tend to try and get in the left lane because they know that right. that bus lane is there and they know they've got to get over if they're going to continue around on Melrose. But we're still going to have some issues there, I think. So. I'm really worried about the, you know, with the interior lanes, if they decide, oh, whoops, I guess I need to get into the turning lane and I didn't move across the, the bike lane and there'll be a bike there. I mean, is that, is that, I mean, presumably that's some sort of concern, isn't it? See what I'm saying? I mean, those, those lanes in the northern part of it that are on the south that are supposed to proceed straight through the intersection, correct? But what if they change their mind and decide they need to get into the right lane and don't see the, the bike? In that bike lane, I, I I'll tell know. you, Rockney, as yeah. I've traveled in yeah. other cities, this yeah. is a very, very yeah, common. No, I, I've seen it too, and there's been critique of these. So yeah, and I've seen it in the really big cities, yeah. it's super common. I think for us here, we just haven't really had any or many yeah. like this, and that's why I just kind of throw out that idea of putting those posts no, in for that's, the first that's a good year. Idea. You could color the lane. That yeah, would be that's another thing that's yeah. done in a lot of places is coloring it. So make it stand, okay. make them paint them green a lot of places. Yeah, just yeah. distinguish it from the, the yeah, vehicle. Something like that would be helpful. I, I, I feel uncomfortable, as I think I articulated already. And it's partly because I was not able to read these maps clearly enough, and I didn't realize where the bike lanes were going to be until just tonight. Uh, so my gut instincts tell me I want to know what the bike community thinks about this particular design before I vote. Well, it sounds that's like they've already supported yeah. it. I mean, that's, well, that's what I, I didn't see heard. anything in writing. I mean, I take your word for it, but I haven't seen anything from people saying, hey, yeah, I understand you have some concerns, Jim, but or whoever the council members, uh, but we think this is the best solution. I mean, I guess for me, if our staff says those people were part of the process and support it, I'm not comfortable holding this up to get something in writing. I mean, I, I trust our staff if they stand there and tell us they've met with these people and these people support it. Well, I don't want to make it a matter of trust because I totally trust Ron and Jason and all that. Any other discussion? Let come on. It Public would, comment. Would Public. it be possible to get feedback on that proposal for the white? Is that something you can at least yeah, consider, we, or we is can, that not practical? Because that would certainly reduce my concerns. And I think Susan brings up a good point. These are in a lot of other communities, but I also think there's been a lot of pushback on these sorts of things because there is not that physical barrier. So I think your original point, I think, is well taken. So yeah, we we can report back. Okay. So we do have a public hearing. So David, please. So. David Dixon, I'll, I'll admit that I haven't looked at this before tonight, so I'm, I'm kind of giving you a first, first off-the-cuff impression of it. Um, as a cyclist, I'd be a little uncomfortable with that long of a lane in between two lanes of traffic, uh, but it is what's required. You either have to terminate the bike lane or it has to go to the left of a, an exclusive turn lane. So what, what Jason's doing here is strictly by the book. It's what, he, what he's required to do. 
However, I, I contemplate a little bit an alternative where you could put the bike lane over to the right, but it would require an additional action. And that would be a requirement to cross the street using the pedestrian over, you know, the, the bridge overhead instead of crossing on the surface level. Um, you might have to pass an ordinance that required dismounting to go up, up the, the spiral ramp thing. Um, but that would be one way that would allow you to put the bike lane over at the curb to where it's not conflicting with the right turn traffic and, and maybe get a little bit of extra space and, and comfort out of that as well. Um, otherwise, it looks like an interesting project. Thank you. Thank you, David. Does anybody want to address, anybody else want to address this topic? Okay, seeing no one else, I'm gonna close the public hearing. Could I have a motion to approve, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Mems and seconded by Cole. Discussion. I am gonna support it. I think to Susan's point, it is progress and it is a lane and it has at least received feedback from some of the cyclists that routinely comment on this and I know that the Burlington Street Bridge has been an elusive goal for a very long time that this represents an effort by staff to try to meet this this goal um, under a lot of constraints so hopefully at least they can report back to us and it may turn out that the engineering standards won't allow these these nice little white um, barriers that go up along there. Hopefully it will be feasible in terms of the engineering studies, but you know, I say let's, let's move forward with it and, and at least make some, some progress on this Burlington Street Bridge issue that comes up for, has come up for several years. I would agree. I would support it too, but somebody said like it, <clears throat> if it's being colored, different color would be great so people can mm -hmm. differentiate it from the, or it will be clear that the bike lane, so. We are not discouraged while they are biking there. Yeah. I'm going to support it as well. I, and I would agree that if, if we can do something just for the first year or two, just to make sure that it's um, identified as a, a bike lane for safety, that would be good. Um, the other thing is that if this doesn't, you know, God forbid anything horrible happens, but if it doesn't seem like in the future, you know, we can do better than, you know, potentially doing a overhead bridge would be an option, but I'll support it and, and go from there. I'll, I'll support it, but I, I do think if possible, having that uh, conversation with the bike community uh, would be helpful just to get their confirmation on the details of the project along the lines of what we were just discussing, perhaps mm -hmm. enhancing it, distinguishing it through the use of paint, which could be uh, issued as an addendum to the contract so that it would be part of the contract without slowing up the project. <coughs> I'm supportive of it. Obviously, it's something that's been needed for some time, but uh, I think I agree with Susan, some sort of method of identifying it clearly as, as the bike lanes. I think there's some very innovative ways out there that some other cities have done. I, uh, I think we received some info, info a while back about some glow-in-the-dark lanes, uh, which was kind of innovative. And uh, But also, uh, in regards to paint, that, that wears out and has to be redone so often. So I think uh, Susan's idea also about other types of markers would be important. Yes, okay, so I'm going to support it as well because I, I don't want to make this a matter of trust with our staff. Um, I like the way Rockney phrased his um, suggestion. 
I agree with Maz about the, the color coding, the bike lane. I think both of those would be good moves. And then we have to pay attention to how it goes. Uh, if any bike people are watching or uh, become aware of this topic, I'd like to get feedback from them. But full speed ahead. Great. Any further discussion? No. Hearing none, roll call, please. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Salute? Yes. Motion carries 7 to 0. Item 13, airport zoning. <laughs> this is an ordinance amending Title 14, entitled Zoning Code, Chapter 6, entitled Airport Zoning, to update the airport zoning requirements based on the new airport layout plan, closing of the north-south runway, and changes in FAA <laughs> regulations. This is second consideration, but staff has requested expedited action. I move that the rule requiring the ordinances must be considered and voted on for passage at two council meetings prior to the meeting at which it is to be finally passed be suspended, that the second consideration and vote be waived, and that the ordinance be voted on for final passage at this time. Second. Moved by Mem, second by Taylor. Discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Motion carries 7 to 0. Move final consideration. Second. Move by Mims, second by Salee. Discussion? Thanks for your patience, Mike. <laughs> Hearing no further discussion, roll call, please. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Motion carries 7 to 0. Item 14, disorderly conduct and disorderly house. This is an ordinance amending Title 8 entitled Police Regulations, Chapter 5 entitled Miscellaneous Offenses, to amend the ordinance so that it complies with a recent federal court decision. This is second consideration, but again, staff has requested expedited action. I move that the rule requiring the ordinances must be considered and voted on for passage at two council meetings prior to the meeting at which it is to be finally passed be suspended, that the second consideration and vote be waived, and that the ordinance be voted on for final passage at this time. Second. Moved by Mims, second by Taylor. Discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Morton? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Motion carries 7 to 0. Move final consideration. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Thomas. Discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Yes. Motion carries 7 to 0. Item 14A, Deer Management Firearms in Parks. This is an ordinance amending Title 10, entitled Public Ways and Property, Chapter 9, entitled Parks and Recreation Regulations, to allow persons to carry firearms in parks for the purpose of killing deer pursuant to a deer management plan. This is first consideration. So moved. Second. Moved by Mims and seconded by Soleil. Discussion. Would anybody like to address this topic? Seeing no one, council discussion? I'll express a concern just to get it um, out on the table. Um, there's going to have to be ample public notice because people walking through Hickory Hill Park don't want guns fired in their direction. And so I'm very clear that city staff is fully aware of that and will do everything they can to make sure that people are adequately informed. 
and uh, there are nearby houses as well, so a lot depends on where the guns are aimed and whether they're mis-aimed. So I think attention needs to be paid to that as well. And I'm sure staff has thought about that as well. Well, and, and with that, Jim, I think it's really important, oh, okay. you know, that the public knows and understands that we're contracting, you know, with White Buffalo, who's done this all across the country very and very experienced, very professional, and they're extremely cautious about how they set up their sites and, and where they shoot and have, they're incredibly disciplined about, you know, having to aim down, you know, so that there's no chance of the bullets traveling long distances, certain distance from houses. Um, so, I, I mean, I agree with your, that those are important issues, but I have extreme confidence that in the history and, and performance of White Buffalo that those should really be non-issues. I think a key difference, unless I'm mistaken about this, is that they have not done this kind of hunt inside Hickory Hill Park before. Not inside Hickory Correct. Hill, but I think they have in other parks in other cities. So it's going to be new for us. Yeah. I totally yeah. agree. And, and the notification is critically important. But I think the safety issue um, will be well taken care of. I had those concerns, too. Um, but it was good to note that the friends of Hickory Hill Park were consulted and don't object to the sharp shooting in the park. Concerned about the damage to all the plants and stuff, too. Any further discussion? I was in no event the cutting a gun on the park is not allowed. And my question would be like, how do they know if like, there's no even somebody searching people there? And usually people will cut, maybe people are cutting and we don't know. This is first time I know that it's against the law to carry. I don't have one anyway, but. <laughs> I'm not sure. And even like how. I don't know. How do you know if people, they are not having it or not? I know if somebody uses it or, or somehow gets searched or... Yeah, because bark is just open for everyone and this is interesting. I'm confident that there are some safety measures that will be in place to, you know, that white buffalo, they've done this before in a lot of cities. So I don't know all the details, but, um, and I, I I feel confident that they are aware of those hazards um, and will do stuff to White Buffalo okay. who's doing the sharpshooting. Any further discussion? It's for regular people, right, to be... I'm uh, not hearing any. Roll call, please. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Salee? Yes or no? Yes. Taylor? Yes. <laughs> mm. Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throg Martin? Yes. Motion carries 7 to 0. Item 15, Public Arts Strategic Plan Adoption. This is a resolution adopting the Iowa City Public Arts Strategic Plan 2020 to 2025. Could I have a motion to approve, please? Move. Second. Moved by Soleil, seconded by Mims. Hi, Marcia. Hello. Good evening. And Beryl Rose Smith. Hi. Hi. I'm losing my marker. There it is. Sorry. My name is Vera Rose Smith. I'm the chairperson of the Public Art Advisory Committee, and I'm here today to run through the strategic plan that we've put together for the Iowa City Public Art, I guess, strategic plan moving forward. Um, we've prepared this plan. It's taken us about almost a year with lots of input sessions and to make sure that we are in complete agreement with the city's plan. So we'll go through this quickly and 
colleagues on the committee are welcome to help me out too. So firstly, I wanna thank the council and Mayor Throgmorton for reviewing this plan, for inviting us to be here. I also wanna thank all committee members who have served on the Public Art Advisory Committee, Wendy Brown, Andrea Truitt, Stephen Miller, Edward Boykin, and then our city liaisons, Ron Naki and Julie Seidel-Johnson, and of course, Marsha Bollinger for putting together this wonderful document for us to look at. So our summary overall, the thing to take away from this is that we have worked really hard, made lots of opportunities available for the public to give their input on what we are doing with public art in this community, and in a way that will help us better align with the goals and cultural mission of Iowa City and put us on par with other cities of our size and scale and mission. So these are our vision, mission, purpose. Uh, the main purpose of this yeah, plan is what I really want up. to highlight. Oh, is it not up there? I'm so sorry. It to pull up. There, there we, we go. Are. Great. All right. Here we go. So vision, mission, purpose. I'm going to just highlight the purpose for you this evening. This was created to outline a five-year plan to create a more sustainable and diverse public art program <coughs> designed to meet the interests and the needs of our growing community and to secure the funding necessary to support it. We have a wonderful, vibrant history of public art in our community. Our public art program was begun in 1997 and <clears throat> has experienced a lot of funding fluctuation over its history, which has made it difficult for long-term planning in terms of collecting new artworks and creating new opportunities for local artists, as well as for larger scale commissions that might invite outside artists into our community. In terms of how this strategic plan interfaces with Iowa City's comprehensive plan, <clears throat> This was developed specifically to align with the goals and strategies for arts and culture. As we can see in our comprehensive plan, the IC 2030 comprehensive plan, which was adopted on May 14th of 2013. <clears throat> and this was our process. So starting in December of last year, there was a request from city council to draft this plan. Beginning in February, we held a meeting for arts professionals in our community, and with the help of those professionals, crafted a strategic process to gather input from a broader public, which we implemented on March 8th. We then had another meeting with our professionals. We had a survey that we developed that was available online and also in person. We had more meetings later in the year. So lots of meetings, lots of times to give this input. And we finally have the strategic plan ready now in October of this year. Some highlights of the surveys that we presented to the public, we had 545 respondents from all parts of Iowa City, which is a really, really good turnout in terms of feedback. And when people were able to make general comments, over 150 people chimed in. Many people wanted to see more public art outside of downtown and in the neighborhoods, and more engaging and interactive public art, and more art by local artists. These are our goals and strategies, and I'm gonna invite my colleague on the committee, Steve, up here to go through these with us. Hello. Hi. Uh, thanks, Farrah. Thank my you. name is Steve Miller. I'm the vice chair of the Public Art Advisory Committee. 
And um, so you, you all have the strategic plan, and um, we only have a short amount of time, so we're not going to go through every action step and task and timeline, but just to hit the highlights, um, goal one is reviewing the existing public art program, which some of the highlights there include um, considering expanding the size of our committee to be more representative of the overall community, um, looking at what time we meet and where we meet just to make sure we're um, inclusive and uh, representing the full community, uh, updating our procedures and criteria for accepting public art proposals, and also um, in the spirit of collaboration and goal four, initiating an annual gathering of arts professionals to encourage and optimize collaboration. Uh, goal two is expanding opportunities. And um, this is about exp expanding both where the art is and trying to get it out into the neighborhoods more, but also expanding the concept of art and what, what types of art are, are public art. Um, so um, getting diverse types of art and spontaneous arts experiences in non-traditional settings, um, that was one of the key, um, something that was brought up a, a lot in the survey is people want sort of to be surprised by, by art and where it is and what it is. Um, goal three is secure and manage funding. So we're not here to tell you where the funding's coming from. We're excited to work with city staff and council members to figure out a sustainable and reliable source that allows us to pursue these goals um, and also to um, provide resources for the required maintenance and conservation of the art we do have. Um, uh, the fourth goal is collaborate with all the great arts organizations in our community um, and have public art advisory committee members and local artists more integrated with the city process, cultivating the partnerships with the community arts organizations, supporting efforts to create a community arts center, um, and promoting the incorporation of public art in private development. And goal five is building awareness and promoting understanding about public art and the benefits of arts in general, and specifically about increasing our committee's interaction with the city council and staff to keep everyone updated, providing an annual report and, um, and public awareness. So how do I switch it here? So in summary, public art is, is one of the things that makes Iowa City lovable, makes it memorable, and um, we, we feel like this plan has public support and is in line with the strategic plan and we ask that you adopt it. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Vera Rose. Would anybody else like to, uh, well, I guess you're right there, so maybe we should see if anybody has questions for you. So anybody want to ask questions? I guess it's beautiful and good. Yeah, good job. Would anybody else like to comment on the proposed public arts plan? Okay, well, um, then we can have a, a council discussion. Thank you. So I want to make a quick observation, it, and, and that is, first of all, I think you've done a superb job of putting this together, so thank you. And then I think public art is absolutely crucial in developing and enhancing and articulating a sense of place in a community 
and likewise a sense of community identity. I think those are both crucial. And when I think about that, I think in a way similar to how I think about historic preservation, we have, um, if we dig deep in our history, we'll discover that the Iowa tribe used to live here and the, uh, the Meskwaki uh, resided here and so on. And if we look farther ahead, we can also see that there are lots of people here now who are not sort of traditional Iowa Cityans. So it seems to me, in a manner similar to historic preservation, we need to expand our horizons and find some way to connect our public art to the people who used to live here for thousands of years and the current residents who are different from the longtime current residents of this place and who are at the same time helping to shape the future unfolding of our public art and our history. So I would hope that, and I think you all have this sense embedded in your own thinking, but I would hope you would do what you can uh, to reach out to um, members of the Iowa tribe and the Meskwaki, but also to uh, uh, members of our newer communities in Iowa City to make sure that they are somehow involved in developing some of the newest art that comes to public art that comes into our community. Mayor Jim, may I speak to that quickly? Sure. Sure. So part of that, as it's embedded in the strategic plan, comes down to the accessibility of our committee and who can serve on our committee. And so some of the things that we'll be looking at are our bylaws, the types of timing constraints when we meet. Currently, we meet at 3.30 on a Thursday afternoon. This time is not terribly accessible for many people in our community. I am fortunate that I am an arts professional and my, my boss sees the value of me serving on this committee, but not everyone can do that. And so that is one of the things that we will be working through at the committee level, is thinking about ways, first and foremost, of opening up service on this community to others who, who might not have the ability to do so right now. And and the second way that we hope to do that is by increasing this budget, we will have more resources to move outside of the downtown. We have a wonderful partnership with the Iowa City Downtown District, which is its own nonprofit boosterism entity that is separate from the city. And the Downtown District has a fantastic public art director of their own, who now serves at 20 hours a week professionally. We do not have somebody in that capacity at the city to run this program. We have Marsha, who is incredible, but this is not the main part of her job. And so part of securing funding, not only for creating new opportunities for local artists, for calls to artists, but also for administrative staff to make sure that this program can be vibrant and can invest the type of time necessary in forging connections with all parts of our community is a crucial stage in the strategic plan for us. Thanks. One of your goals, I guess, if I'm not mistaken, you mm -hmm. said you would like to expand your commissions or? Yes. Yeah, I guess to the mayor point, I really like to see like different people serving this committee because mm -hmm. as he said, there is people who used to live in this city. Mm -hmm. and, uh, your art need to feature that and also how new people used to live here. And to do that, you have to have representative from different communities. So. Uh, IOC is really growing and we have different people right now. I really like that, that you want to do this. This is really great. Thanks. Any further discussion? Oh, I just want to commend you for the strategic plan. I think it's, I mean, I think it's great and it has so much detail and, and lots of ideas and, and the action items. 
One of the things that struck me was one, the pictures, uh, just some beautiful photography you know, of various things around the community. But if there's one thing I had to pick out, it's the public art map. Mm -hmm. Because I think there are an awful lot of items on that map that people have no idea right. are in this community or where they are. And what's interesting is, is sometimes people talk so much about how we overemphasize downtown. And you look at this map and there are so many things outside of the downtown, but you have to almost go looking for them. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if you don't know they're there and you don't happen to live in that neighborhood or happen to drive down that particular mm -hmm. street, you have no idea they're there. So if, if the public were to look at this for no other reason than to see that public art map, mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a great resource for people to see that and say, hey, I'm going to go out and, and look mm -hmm. at some of these because they're great pieces that we have in the community. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And we have hopes as part of goal five of the strategic plan to better digitize that art map, maybe integrate it with existing mapping technologies. There are ways to pinpoint mm -hmm. historic sites or sites of cultural significance within Google Maps, for example. So right. existing mapping technologies that are free, open, accessible to the public. So, so we, if we have more administrative support to do these things, we can expand how this map mm -hmm. is able to be accessed. And that's super exciting. <laughs> Thank um, you. A quick side note, I brought my Kirkwood Community College students on an art safari through Iowa City, <laughs> and they had 20 minutes to find as much public art as possible. <laughs> and this was back in the spring. And they found, the winning group found over 100 examples of public art. So we're already doing an incredible job. But this strategic plan is really focused on how we can do that better, how we can serve more people and be more inclusive in our efforts. Very good. Very good. Yeah, and to, to expand the public art like mm -hmm. outside the Iowa City downtown mm -hmm. and this area, I guess connected with neighborhood association also would be great. Mm -hmm. So you can do things on neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's wonderful. You know, one thing I'm interested in exploring is the idea of public art in natural areas too. Mm -hmm. That contrast that could be set up between, you know, I'm familiar with Hickory Hill Park, but you know, having artwork in Hickory Hill Park, of course, it would have to be the appropriate for that setting. But I, I think defining, uh, incorporating that would then draw people into natural areas that may not you know, normally think of them as being a place, a destination for them. But mm -hmm. ways we can use public art to activate places that can use the activa activation Absolutely. Nice. Um, my mother-in-law lives in Los Angeles, so not really a comparable city. But the Descanso Gardens, which are a public green space outside of Los Angeles, has a fantastic temporary installation every winter that is light-based. And they contract with light artists. And it's amazing because it allows this landscape to be open at night and experienced in a totally different way. It doesn't detract from the normal flow of their visitorship. It, in fact, increases that. So we could think about many different applications of public art that is more ephemeral, that has a low environmental impact, mm -hmm. that activates these public spaces. Mm -hmm. And I'll also quickly highlight one of the grants that we administered this past year through our public art matching grant fund was to a project called RAMP, which activated a city parking ramp as a music festival site. This happened on June 9th of this year. The ramp remained open to vehicular traffic. The musicians were located down in the snow pit of the ramp, which is only useful to the ramp during cold months. So those types of site interventions are something that the committee currently is really excited about exploring further. Mm -hmm. Interesting. 
You mentioned Hickory Hill Park. Uh, well, Bruce and I both live close to Willow Creek, and there is the, the artwork Creek there. If you have not seen it, do you, uh, and if, if people have not seen it, because that's a very well-traveled path for, for walking, jogging, and, and biking, and, and there, it's beautiful, unusual forms of artwork in the park, and, and that's it's a really nice thing. And I just wanted to comment on, on your goals, I think. Uh, congratulations on, on uh, writing those. Uh, they seem very realistic and, and achievable and, and understandable, so it's good. Good job. And I just wanted to briefly comment, too. It's just mega kudos to everyone on the committee. You know, the funding is really going up. It seems like the, the artwork and everything is going in the right direction. And it's really exciting to see what you guys have in store. I think you've done a terrific job. I also do want to give a shout-out to Thomas Egrin as well. He's done a really great job as well, in addition to all the wonderful committee members, because I know it takes an incredible amount of time uh, to make it happen. So I'm really mm – -hmm. I can't wait to see which concerts you have in store. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Any further discussion? Hearing none, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Marsha. No further discussion. Roll call, please. Mims? Yes. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Cole? Yes. Motion carries 7 to 0. Item 16, council appointments. Applicants must reside in Iowa City and be 18 years of age unless specific qualifications are stated. 16A, Human Rights Commission, we have one vacancy to fill an unexpired term upon appointment. There were 20 applications for that position with a male gender balance requirement. So seven of the applicants are males. Uh, yeah, I, I, won't need, I won't read their names, but there were seven applicants who were males. Do you folks have recommendations about who to appoint? I, I do have one, really, uh, Zachary Rochester. He's a student at the University of Iowa. Just by looking to the people who serve in the current, uh, you know, commission, they, they, if I just look at their age range, the youngest is 26, but the average is really four years old. And just bringing students from the university will connect. We always say the university and the city are isolated. This is we give chance to the student to serve in commission. You know, and I think he's very, uh, he served in many things that I know, like help. Uh, he's a very good person on like community things and helping people in the community. He was an intern at CWJ, right? And you, he, and you he was, there as and well. he was, yeah, I really, he's not, he was intern, but he was really working hard on the, on Save the Labor Center, I think, so on that, but he wasn't like really intern. I just, other ideas? Oh. I just wanted to note that I, I actually think there were eight males because one of them was maybe inadvertently labeled as female. Who was that? Van, Van, I can't pronounce it. Van Katesh Janakaraman. Is Van Kanesh. In, in, uh, in the application, he said male. Oh, really? Am I correct in that or incorrect? Maybe. I thought. I don't know. I, I saw it's seven. <laughs> yeah, I wrote down seven. No. Because in this list, he's he's listed. But but I would agree with Mazi here. I also was um, th looking at at Zachary as, as a very good um, possibility for this. Yeah, I'm supportive of Zachary too. I, I he's one of these guys that I've sort of seen out in the community. He's just very active and seems like he's doing a lot of good things. And I think to Maz's point, bringing those new younger voices is important too to balance out the commissions. So I, I think he'd be a great candidate. 
There were, I thought there were a number of good candidates, but I, I would support Zachary. Okay. Well, it sounds like there's clear support for him. I, I know I looked at the, uh, the table that shows, I don't know, the various, if you will, ages and characteristics of applicants. That is very helpful to have. Yeah, and it yeah, seems right. to, very, very nice. It I, seems I to me it. that Zachary fills a gap in our current mix of people on the commission, and there, there are other reasons to support him as well, but yes. that's one thing I think about. So uh, I'm fully happy to support him. Okay. Any other discussion? Okay, um, so could I have a motion to appoint, can make sure I have his name correct here. Um, Zachary Rochester, yeah, um, move. Zachary Rochester to the Human Rights Commission. Move. Second. Second. Moved by Soleil, seconded by Teague. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Item 17, announcement of vacancies new. Again, applicants must reside in Iowa City and be 18 years of age unless specific qualifications are stated. We have one vacancy to fill an unexpired term upon appointment to the Senior Center Commission. Applications must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, December the 10th, 2019. With regard to this, could I have a motion to accept correspondence, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Salih. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Item 18, announcement of vacancies previous. We have one vacancy to fill an unexpired term upon appointment to the Historic Preservation Commission, an at-large position. Applications for that position must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, November the 26th, 2019. We have one vacancy to fill a five-year term on the Board of Adjustment, three vacancies to fill three-year terms on the Climate Action Commission upon appointment, three vacancies to fill three-year terms on the Human Rights Commission, two vacancies to fill four-year terms on the Parks and Recreation Commission, two vacancies to fill a three-year, to fill three-year terms on the Public Art Advisory Commission, and two uh, vacancies to fill three-year terms on the Senior Center Commission. Applications for those positions must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, November the 12th, 2019. We also have one vacancy to fill a five-year term on the Airport Zoning Board of Adjustment, one vacancy to fill a three-year term for the East College Street District of the Historic Preservation Commission, and one vacancy to fill an unexpired term effective upon appointment to the Historic Preservation Commission's Woodlawn District. Vacancies for those positions will remain open until filled. Item 19, community comment. Come on up. Good evening, Charlotte and Kytus. Hi, Deputy. Charlotte. Oh, hello. <laughs> Deputy City Liaison, University of Iowa Student Government. Um, I've got a couple exciting um, updates for you all. So this past Friday, visit, we had a visit from Regent Barker. Um, he received a tour of campus, which was facil facilitated by several members of the student government. Um, and yeah, I was there for part of the tour, and I thought it was very successful. He was very receptive to um, everything that we were talking about. 
Um, and we are also in the midst of the national first generation college, ce college celebration, which um, is from November 3rd to the 8th. Um, and yeah, yesterday on November 3rd, UISG hosted the I'm the First First Gen Summit um, with the aim to identify and connect first gen students with resources that can support their student success during their time at Iowa. Um, and um, the celebration is continuing with various events throughout the week. Um, and then the upcoming transit study forums are being um, promoted through UISG with, um, on social media, and they're also being promoted through Canvas. So hopefully we'll get a lot of good student feedback from those forums. Um, and then I emailed you all very late last night um, about um, ideas for agenda items for the um, planned joint meeting with UISG, GPSG, and City Council for spring 2020. Um, and so I just kind of, I guess, wanted to, you know, put that in your minds. And um, Austin and I will be creating and sending out a survey, a survey, survey to UISG and GPSG members um, to collect some of um, student ideas of, about what they want to talk about. Um, so I don't know if you guys have any ideas right off the bat, or um, I was going to send you the results from the survey once I receive that, and so then you can kind of gauge kind of what students are interested in, and maybe give additional ideas, but okay. Yes, wonderful. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you, Charlotte. Yep. Anyone else? No. Oh, could I have a motion to accept correspondence from Charlotte? So move. move. Second. Moved by Teague, seconded by Soleil. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. <coughs> Item 20, city council information. Could we start with Bruce and move to the right? Yes, so we did the homecoming parade this year, the University of Iowa homecoming parade on the 18th of October, and that was a, a blast. So thanks to the mayor for suggesting that. It was great to be out there with um, staff. We also had a, a vehicle of the cities that was an electric vehicle, and so um, we were passing out some candy as well as some climate action uh, pamphlets, uh, just educating the public on some of the goals that we're going to be doing here in the future. So that was super fun. Yeah, I had a blast. So yeah. Me too. Um, the next night on the 19th, um, our mayor was um, recognized at the refuge, uh, refugee and immigrant recognition dinner. Um, the, the event really you know, just looking at the refugee and the immigrant, all that they're doing here in our community. It was amazing. Um, it was a great time of celebration, but we also had the honor, and I, I was able to be present with the mayor along with some more counselors uh, to say thanks for all that you've done. Um, and so this has been um, just a great time of celebration for many people. But again, I wanted to just give a shout out to our mayor. This is, you know, today I was, when I came in, I realized that he has four more meetings um, before he's done here. And so um, I, I'm gonna give kudos to the mayor. So thanks for all that you do for Iowa City. And human rights um, awards that happened on the 23rd of October. And there were, there were five, I believe. Um, individuals that were celebrated, all well-deserving. It was a great time of just honoring some pillars within our community that really do um, serve other people in, their, in, in human right needs. So uh, kudos to all of those that received that on, uh, on that morning. It was fabulous. Other than that, I have no other updates. Um, I, I did have one um, 
meeting that I went to today, and that uh, was a child care uh, meeting because we had the child care summit, and so those are happening um, different committees throughout the community, and so um, I'm looking forward to seeing what is derived um, as a as for more child chair solutions within our community. Sure. Yes. I guess Bruce said everything. That oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're Can't same thing like Bruce. We attend the yeah the homecoming bread. It was really nice. I enjoyed it. And also the refugees dinner, very nice. But he forgot to say that we I attend the grand opening for multi-generation center. <laughs> you know, I, it was really nice place to, you know, to go and it is a very big one. I hope, I guess it will solve a lot of, you know, kind of problems that we have for elderly daycares. And uh, I like the concept that we have multi-age people will be there, which is great. Congratulations. Thank you. And after that, I couldn't attend the home ride dinner, but I traveled to Sudan and I attend my brother wedding on the first. Oh. I just came today at seven o'clock at Chicago, 11 in Cedar Rabbit, and now I'm here. I even didn't go home yet, but that's all I have. Well, that's seven hours there, seven hours back, no problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ditto and ditto, but I do want to add a little bit with regards to the Human Rights Breakfast. I think it should be videotaped on Channel 4, Jeff. Are those usually not shown or not? I thought we did videotape those, but I, I could okay. check. Okay, because I, I hope you can, because you out there, if you get the chance to watch these speeches, these speeches were so good. Totally. Normally with speeches, especially maybe if it's me, they go on and on a little yeah. bit. But each one of these recipients basically gave like a three to four minute speech, and almost none of them went over. And almost every single one of them had a very impactful, dynamic presentation that was you know, inspirational and full of details. Like each one, I wish I would have had like a little notebook to write down some phrases. So it was that good. And so if you get the chance, normally you don't watch those on video, but you should because it was that terrific. Mm -hmm. The refugee dinner, I just continued to be inspired by our refugee community. There was more music, there was more dance. There were even some city councilors that were dancing. Um, it was so much fun. And I'm, and I'm hoping at some point in the future, it gave me the German idea that wouldn't it be awesome to have sort of a refugee music festival? So something to think yes. about. Hopefully that will occur in the future. And this past weekend, I was um, biking along City Park, and I went under the Park Road Bridge, and I discovered for the first time that that underpass under the Park Road Bridge is now done. And that is so cool. So normally, sort of you go across the road and it's a little bit dangerous and we we're biking with you know my daughter and a good friend of hers um, but it was really wonderful to see that done so if you're a biker or you're a walker check that out and sort of see that progress that's been made on that bridge but other than that that's pretty much it um, a lot of good things happening yeah yeah we were we went to a lot of events together it seemed yes. like oh, yeah. last few yeah. weeks and they were they were all wonderful I had a quorum no policy was discussed though <laughs> yeah. The only one I would add was uh, the Strong Towns talk, which I had mentioned before the event. Uh, but after the event, just wanted to mention that it, it was recorded by City Channel 4. So I would recommend to anyone who is interested in, in uh, urban planning 
to, to take a look at that, uh, that video. It, it was, Chuck Marone has honed his presentation, you know, over the years, and it's, it's worth watching. Well, for those things that I did with the rest of you, uh, which was some of them and not some, but I won't bother repeat, um, went to a couple really good events in Witching Hour this weekend. Um, on Friday night at the Englert, um, From Impossible to Inevitable, How Climate Action is Mainstreamed Globally. It was a really, really interesting presentation um, by Marcelo Mena um, from Chile. And he was one of the top, top members of the Chilean government and working directly with their um, prime minister or president, I forget her title. And some of the changes that they have made from fossil fuels to huge, huge solar installations, um, eight new national parks that they have um, developed in areas they've saved, uh, working very, very closely with the indigenous populations in many of those areas, especially along the ocean and the fishing grounds, et cetera. Um, but they, as a country, they have been very involved um, nation internationally with various um, accords and agreements and changes. And so um, I don't know if any of that was filmed, but it was an incredibly interesting presentation and just, you know, a lot of the data that we have talked about with the Paris Climate Accord and a lot of other things in addition, but how they have done it at the national level. Um, obviously, as he said, you know, they're a very different country than we are in terms of the amount of development, human, uh, natural resources, et cetera, but um, incredible progress that they have made in Chile. So it's a very interesting presentation. And then on Saturday afternoon um, at Film Scene in the Chauncey, it was my first visit there, um, Lynch, A History um, by David Shields. This is a documentary on... Marshawn. Marshawn. Yeah, I know, I know the name. I'm just, I'm just oh. trying to stop and think about how to best portray mm -hmm. it. I mean, it's Marshawn Lynch, who's an uh, NFL player, retired. But it really was um, systemic racism, racism in sport, um, the strength or the, the importance of silence, um, how, how athletes are treated by the media, how black athletes are treated by the media. It was, I think, an 84-minute 80, um, documentary film. No, there was very little of it that they actually filmed. Most of it was clips from public record, but in order to use those, they can use no more than like 10 or 15 seconds of a clip. So, I mean, this thing was like mm. clip after clip. I mean, you, it, I told him afterwards I wanted to go back and watch it again because it just was so fast moving. Um, it went way back. He used a lot of um, speakers from, that are very, could be considered very controversial today from Bill Cosby to, I mean, just Bill Russell and, and all kinds of different people. But it was just a real, a very, a lot of juxtaposition between the clips and um, at the, the way the film ended was really, really interesting because it showed some black athletes basically confronting the media with the questions that they were asking. Um, and one of them was asking LeBron James a question, and it, it was just one of these stupid questions that sports writers always ask. Like, why do you always ask? It's like, oh, is it is it important to home court advantage or to protect your own court? And 
LeBron just looks at the guy and says, well, is it? I mean, it's just, so you looked at how they presented and how the media responded to them. And then they showed clips of Bill Belichick, Belichick, and um, Papa Doc, that's not right, Pop, Pop, Popovich, who was with uh, San, San, uh, San, San Antonio Spurs, and how those older white men were treated by the media when they basically did the same thing, like, what kind of a stupid question are you asking me? And so the whole thing, like I say, was on systemic racism, racism in sport, the criticism of black athletes for speaking out about injustices, Colin Kaepernick, other people. Um, so if you get a chance, he said you can find it out there on on YouTube or whatever, um, but it's Lynch, a history. And uh, what was also interesting about it was Marshawn Lynch refused to participate in the documentary mm-hmm. because he just didn't trust, but he went and saw it and he told David afterwards, I think you did a great job. And so we were, we were interested in going, but we were especially interested in going because our oldest son, Jeremy, was invited by Andre Perry to actually do a Q&A with um, David Shields after the film. So it was really good. Mm-hmm. Cool. Very good. Just, and just a shout out to everybody involved with Witching Hour. Just some incredible stuff. So. Sure. You make it sound like something well worth watching. It Thanks. works very, very well worth watching. Okay, the homecoming parade. Uh, I want to praise Zach Berg for all the organizing work he did and the, the, the rest of the staff team that really helped with that. I also want to praise Charlotte and yes. Austin for Join being us. fellow marchers. Mm-hmm. It was really great yes. of you to do. So bravo to all. And uh, I want to praise our colleague Pauline for being so clever as to buy me a stove Hat, stovepipe hat. That was fun. Yeah. That's what's fun, yeah. And make a sash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so thanks for doing that. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so there's that. And with regard to the Immigrant and Refugee Association dinner at St. Patrick's Church, I want to give, a, again, a, a big thanks to Jean-Paul Mugamuzi for all his efforts and Jim Olson for in the UNA Association for uh, all the organizing work they did, and I'm sure there was a lot more going on behind the scenes that I didn't know anything about. Uh, and Father Rudy Juarez at St. Patrick's Church for enabling it to take place out there, as he did with the Sudanese yes. Association yeah. event. Exactly. So I think that that's just a great connection. Exactly. So bravo, Father Rudy. Tomorrow, Jeff, unless I'm mistaken, you're going to be speaking at the Sizzle Series luncheon down at Big Grove about development in Iowa City or whatever. So eyes are going to be watching you. (laughs) I look forward to it. It'll be fun. And let's see. On the 15th, I'm going to be interviewed on KICI Radio, which is a low-power radio station that's fairly new, about our climate action efforts. And I'll be basing that on what I, what I see next week or whenever it is that we get that, the report. Uh, with regard to the Human Rights Breakfast and the Strong Towns events, I regret not being able to attend them, but I was in Greenville, Greenville, South Carolina, attending the annual meeting of my scholarly association, the Association of Collegiate Schools of Planning, and there were lots of great presentations pertaining to inclusion, sustainability, resilience, regenerativity, plus the traditional transportation, housing, uh, economic development kinds of things. Last, here's a surprise. 
Local elections will take place tomorrow. <laughs> Please so don't nice. forget to vote, both in the school board election and city council election, and this means you too, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's it for me. Jeff? Oh, me? Oh, I didn't know I'm you. sorry. <laughs> well, I had a lot to say. You did. Oh, you man. did. How sorry. dare you do that? <laughs> I had a lot to say, too, although a lot of it's been already said. But the last couple of weeks was uh, quite the time for recognitions and awards. And I have echo about the homecoming parade. There, and what surprised me was a very positive reaction from the crowd of people lining the streets. It, well, that was really fun to, to see that. And thanks again to Zach uh, for, and his committee for putting all that together with the, the signs. They were wonderful signs and the banner we've got now. It's, it's great. Uh, then on Saturday, again, the Refugee and Immigrant Association Recognition Dinner was a fantastic evening with uh, music and singing and, and great food and dancing. It was, it was a lot of fun. And um, they did give recognition to the mayor as well as the city itself for, for what we do to um, welcome immigrants and refugees to, to the area. Uh, then on uh, the... 22nd, uh, Bruce neglected this, but Maz mentioned this, the ribbon cutting for the Caring Hands facility, which is, it, it uniquely combines the elder care and the child care. There is no other facility like that in the area, so best wishes and congratulations to Bruce for success in that facility. And then, of course, the uh, human rights breakfast uh, was mentioned. Uh, there's always very well-deserving recipients uh, for that, but uh, two stood out for me this year, uh, of course, was Jesse Case's uh, union brother, who's uh, I've known him for over 20 years, and he does work very hard for, for workers' rights and, and well-deserved on that. And then, of course, uh, I'd have to give a shout-out to Angie Jordan because um, she's just been wonderful with helping to start and lead the South District Neighborhood Association, so it was good to see her getting one of those uh, awards. Uh, then on Thursday the 24th, uh, I, I attended uh, what was called the Pat Meyer Vision Award Ceremony, which was uh, hosted by the Johnson County Coalition Against Domestic Violence. It's a nonprofit citizens group that is committed to ending domestic violence. Um, their award is given to both an individual and an organization or a business that has worked towards supporting survivors of domestic violence. And this year, uh, another very longtime uh, friend of mine, good friend of mine, Lois Cox, received an award. She's a longtime professor at the College of Law and has helped uh, uh, victims with the legal aspect of what they need to do. And then also um, the great organization, the, the UAY. It, it just made me realize, and all of these events made me realize what great community resources we have in Iowa City, just uh, an abundance of them out there and people that are willing to, to do these things. Uh, then Friday, the 25th, my daughter and I attended the fall shop crawl for the downtown district, and it happened. It was kind of funny because it happened to coincide with Sandra Bernie Sanders' visit on the Ped Mall. So as we were visiting some of the stores along Dubuque Street, and we had to sort of weave our way through the crowds of people that were there. We couldn't see him. He was off in the distance, but we could hear him and uh, had to avoid getting stickered, Bernie with Sanders stickers by all the people in the crowd, but that was kind of fun. Uh, then Sunday, and it apparently went quite well. It didn't conflict with the crawl, and, and there, I don't think, were any uh, events that the police needed to take care of. 
then Sunday, the 27th, uh, was another very fun event, the Purcell School of Music fundraiser. They called it Bach and Roll. And most of you are probably aware that uh, Doris Purcell founded the school in 1975. It's been around the community for a long time. And in, in those years, it's gained international recognition uh, in the world of music, uh, teaching countless numbers of students and becoming a real jewel for our community. Um, and that evening, they uh, did pay tribute to uh, one of their uh, instructors who's been the current director there for the past 27 years, 20, yeah, 27 years, Sonia Zaitamal, uh, because she recently received a national recognition, the 2019 National Guild Milestone uh, Award from the National Guild for Community Arts Education, which is apparently a pretty significant award to, to receive. So. Um, I was honored to read a letter from the mayor and the council and the city as such acknowledging that award. And so congratulations to Sonia and to the Purcell School of Music. And then I wanted to add, I neglected with my uh, CVB report earlier that uh, the University of Iowa rep uh, there's been a lot of discussion and speculation about what's happening with the student population. And he sort of alluded to the fact that they don't really anticipate a large increase in undergrad students, but they're looking at an increase in graduate students, which kind of makes sense that some of the older folks in the community around uh, are uh, thinking of continuing their education going back to school. So that's all. Great. Great. Jeff? Nothing. Ashley? I'll offer a quick census update. Uh, the Federal Bureau has expanded uh, eligible applicants for working as a census taker or as uh, census staff. They initially had required uh, someone to be a U.S. citizen, and they have expanded that to non-citizens with a special focus upon people who specialize in languages or are fluent in languages other than English. So um, they're working on updating the website to allow people to apply. And we have, I think on a regular basis, early Sunday afternoons, there's someone at our Iowa City Public Library that is helping people apply on the computer. You mean when? Uh, on Sunday afternoons, just about every week. Um, just about every week they're there in the library and kind of just when you walk in to the meeting room area, there's somebody there from the census to help people apply. Great, thanks. Eleanor, Kelly. Okay, looks like we're done. Could I have a motion to adjourn, please? So moved. Second. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Soleil. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed, motion carries. We are adjourned.